You always do that for good luck. You know, I'm killing you, you know. Yeah, well, I'm coming back. Yeah, I got. Right. When was the first time we ever played cribbage? Uh, it was Four. a long time ago, 14. Were we on a sailboat? We were on a sailboat. We had marathon uh, games and cribbages. I think I won like the first five, five games. Yeah, you did. Then you lost the next eight to me. I don't remember the next eight. 19. 29. That's a go. Yeah, somehow it's always the, uh, Four. the first five that we remember, right? 14. <laughs> 20. 30. That's a go, too. But I love a hand like this. Let me just count it out loud just for the fun of it because I'm coming back. So we got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, pair for 14, another pair for 16, and then 15, 2, 4, 6, 8. I think that's 24. <laughs> yeah, that's a dead cat bounce if I've ever seen one. A, a, a dead cat bounce? Is that like You don't know that term? It's like the cat taking a nap on the side of the road. No, it's a stock. They're so mark. sleepy on the asphalt. <laughs> They're just like, oh, I'm so sleepy. I just I can't even move. It's a stock market term. It's, one, market. it's when a stock or the market itself is, is going down and then it rallies for a little bit and then goes down. It's like if you took a dead cat, you threw it hard enough on the ground, it would bounce, but it's still dead. I think we're going to get in trouble. <laughs> I'm sure we will. But it was your idea to use this, so I feel I'm, uh, I'm okay even though I have the term. Yeah, in, in, uh, in May of 08 was a huge dead cat bounce. In fact, the market had been down for months. Uh, it rallied for three weeks, 1,000 points. Everybody said, oh, the market's turning. And then it went down again for 4,000 points over the next several months. Do you so want to count it your was crib? One of the worst. I didn't count my other hands. You took it away. It's a, well, you only had six. I got none. Yeah, exactly. You dealt, didn't you? Exactly. Yeah, right. That's a beautiful. Oh, it's great. Beautiful. So. Dead cat bounce. Yeah, it's you know, it's like when you think things are gonna uh, are going bad, and you think they're gonna turn around and, and go good again, and so you buy into it and you put everything into it, and then it goes because it was going bad, and and you've just bought into the uh, into the belief that somehow it's gonna turn, but it's go it's going down. That cat's dead one way or the other, whether it bounces once or not. It's not where you want to be. It's not where you want to be. Our text today is on page 1030. <laughs> really, I cheated, so you don't have to applaud. <laughs> That's like when you applaud your kid for doing the wrong thing. No, that didn't. 1038, 18, verse 1. Let's go. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority. And the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth are committed, have committed immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living, luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back, as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed, as she glorified herself and lived in luxury. 
So give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart, she says, I sit as a queen. I am no widow and no mourning I shall never and mourning I shall never see. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord who has judged her. And all the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. Last week we rightly explored the the identity of Babylon, and it is the world. It is the world and specifically the pursuit that the world has of stuff. Specifically the reality of economic idolatry. That is to say... The dollar, the pound, the euro, the yen is the most important thing. And accumulating as much of it as you can is where you want to find yourself. Except it's not where you want to find yourself. It's a dead cat bounce. This is not a place where you want to live. It's really kind of, it's really coming unhinged. It's kind of like one of those zombie movies. I'm not a... Expert in zombie movies, so I turn to my son. And some of you may question my parenting if I somehow allow my son to watch zombie movies, but you only fight the battles you can win. I said, Will, what are some good zombie movies that people should be aware of? He's like, well, there's a TV show, The Walking Dead. That's really, really great. And he has a t-shirt with the one dude with the bat. Okay. And then there's Shaun of the Dead. He's like, Shaun of the Dead is an absolute, it's just amazing. Just great cinematography. Night of the Living Dead is an absolute classic, Will would argue for. And then Evil Dead, while technically not a zombie movie, still is in the genre. And at any rate, what we have described here is a zombie movie. It's like everything is coming undone and unhinged. And it is a place in which you see evil for what it really, really is. And the pursuit of evil. We lose sight of it so quickly. We build our lives. We create castles of stuff. We pursue what the world values. For what? How do we get to this place? The picture in verses 2 and 3 is one of intoxication, okay? It's people getting drunk on the pursuit of this stuff. And we understand that, right? If you've ever been a sober person in a room full of people that are drinking, you understand this notion. It's one of the craziest things. Everyone around you is drinking, you're the only person not drinking, and they think they're so funny. They think their jokes are so amazing and so clever and so engaging and they're just having a good time and you're like, yeah, yeah, you're really not that funny. If you've ever been a waitstaff in a place that serves alcohol, you know when a patron's had too much and they start coming on to you and you're like, really? Really, it's not working. The lines, the pickup lines really aren't going to function. The band, when they first started working at Timberwood Church, they say, we love playing at Timberwood Church because as the morning goes on, people aren't getting increasingly drunk. (laughs) Because when you play or engage with people who are going down that pathway, you see it for what it is. But when you're in the midst of it, it just seems normal. 
The picture is of intoxication, of impaired judgment. And just like someone who has had way too much to drink, the thought for Babylon is there's nothing wrong with my behavior. The world's like, of course we should pursue everything that we can get. It's a scene describing economic idolatry. Placing the pursuit of money and the pursuit of wealth as the thing that is to be worshipped, that is to be pursued. And along the way, it uses this metaphor of sexual immorality as a stinging comparison. It's no place to live. It's not where you want to be. If you needed an invitation, it's here in verse 4. I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins. Thoughts are back to the Old Testament, Sodom and Gomorrah, where Lot and his wife and his daughters are invited to leave Sodom Gomorrah and, and escape the judgment. If you're an Old Testament scholar, that rings true for you. It's this invitation to get out. In case you were in, get out. Hopefully you weren't in to begin with, but in case you were in, get out. In fact, get out and stay out. But this is where the head-scratcher occurs, right? Because as followers of Christ, we live in the world that is described by these first three verses. And it invites the question, how does one live in the world, yet not get trapped by the world? Last couple days, I was with my older brothers. Um, we were at this little game farm down by La Center, Minnesota, and we were doing some pheasant hunting. And it was just, it was just, just a great time, just absolutely amazing time. And, and when my family gets together, we're kind of loud, like really loud. And, um, and, and so we're doing what brothers do when they get together and telling jokes. And, and, and the focus of our jokes was the recent uh, uh, peaceful transfer of power in the United States of America. And, and so we were... We, we had comments to make about one president leaving and another president arriving. In fact, how did you feel on Friday? How did you feel about the one leaving and the one coming in? And we told all kinds of jokes, right? On both sides, we were equal opportunity offenders. And then I kind of thought, were the jokes that I told or the things that I laughed at reflective of a follower of Jesus Christ. Now I get it. What happens in the pheasant camp stays in the pheasant camp. Okay, and there's some space that we have with brothers, okay, and they, there's this natural good-natured ribbing, not the least of which is they still ask me if I have a job where I only have to work one day a week. And I'm like, actually, it's not even one full day because I actually speak twice for 23 minutes for 46 minutes. So, man, if you can make a living doing 46 minutes a week, wouldn't you? I mean, wouldn't you do that? And they just pile it on, you know, and it's fine. And my oldest brother, David, just got his shoulder replaced. And so rather than walk with us and actually shoot a gun, he drove in a little ranger-like vehicle. And we were just merciless to him. Just like no pity at all. Just no space. Just heaped it on. And so I get that sometimes there's some good-natured ribbing that maybe goes further than it really should. But if you listened, actually listened to Friday... 
How does one live in the world and yet not get trapped by the world? The comments that we make about one president leaving and another one arriving, are they comments that are reflective of a follower of Jesus Christ? The crazy thing is verse 18, chapter 18, isn't talking about the political system. It's talking about economic realities, so let's just hit it straight on. Let's be bold, not because it benefits me, but because it benefits us. What do we do with our dough? The idol in verses 1 through 3 is the pursuit of money, the, 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 the placing of money above everything else, economic luxury above everything else. So what do we do with our dough? Greg Beale argues, and he's the author that we've been following through the book of Revelation to help us guide us. He just, he just argues, what do we do? Do we tithe? Do I give God a portion of what he has given to me? Do I give to God in such a way that makes me think about life or make choices? Do I give God a portion of what he has given to me that forces me to do life just a little bit differently? How do I spend my resources? A few years ago, I kind of came face to face with this. And I got my chops busted after the first sermon by a friend of mine who sells cars. So it's coming down the road. So just, I know it's going to hit again. But a few years ago, I kind of came to this conclusion that I really didn't need to drive a brand new pickup truck. Okay? My brothers, they need to buy brand new pickup trucks. Okay? They use their pickup trucks in the execution of their jobs. They're pulling boats. They're loading heavy things. They're, they're moving stuff around. They need new four-wheel drive pickup trucks. They put a tremendous amount of miles, tremendous amount of wear and tear. Ah, da, 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 da. Okay? I don't. I don't. I have a job that I work one day a week for 46 minutes. <laughs> I don't need a brand new four-wheel drive pickup truck. I don't. I don't. And I discovered that if I didn't have the car payment on a brand new four-wheel drive pickup truck, it was much easier to give to God. Now, I'm not picking on auto dealerships, and I'm not picking on you if you drive a brand new four-wheel drive pickup truck. I think that's great. I'm just saying, for me personally, I came face to face with a simple reality. What was I doing with the dollars that have been entrusted to my care? Grandpa Snow, Tanya's grandfather. If you knew him formally, he was the Reverend Dr. Lieutenant Colonel William, no middle initial Snow, United States Army, retired. The guy had done a few things. He said simply this, John, Give God 10%, save 10%, and live on the rest. If the idol is an economic idol, what do we do with our resources so that we live in the world but are not trapped by the world? I know some of you are thinking, this is about an ask for Timberwood Church. No, it's not. This has nothing to do with Timberwood Church. 
you are incredibly generous to Timberwood Church. God is incredibly gracious to Timberwood Church. Last year, we made our budget income side. We were under budget on our expenses. That's a great variance, a great spot to find ourselves in. It's not about an ask. It's about a question of the heart. How do we live in a world yet not be trapped by a world? And the world being described in chapter 18 is one in which economic idolatry is the God that is worshipped. In my own life, two things had to take place. This may not be true for you. It was true for me. There was an internal battle. I first had to get it straight in my own brain that I needed to honor God with a portion of which he had given to me. And getting it straight meant come to the realization that what I have is a gift from God. We tend to think that what we have is ours. We tend to think that, oh, I've earned this, or I have this ability, or I, etc., 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 have the etc., 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 Getting it straight first acknowledges that everything that we have is a gift from God. My ability to speak, my ability to think, my ability to walk, my ability to engage with the world, my ability to earn a living, that is all a gift from God. It is not my ability. It is something he has given to me. So the internal battle is getting it straight in my brain that I do not want the dollar to be the idol that I worship. And then the external battle flows out of that. Be consistent. Make choices that are reflective of what you know to be true, of what a follower of Jesus Christ should look like. The text goes on, verse 10. They will stand far off in fear of her torment. Okay, the kings of the earth who have benefited economically from being a part of this world system, they will stand far off in fear. Why are they afraid? Because the doom of the city is the doom of them. I mean, when, when the thing that you have pursued is going down in flames, you know you're not far behind. Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. I have to tell you that, that my relationship with my brothers is as good as it has ever been. And there's a few years where it wasn't so good, mainly because I was stupid. And I think part of why it's so good is because we realize there's just less time. That, that life moves so dang quickly and soon it's over. And the text says the world has been pursuing this economic idolatry for years. And in one hour, it's gone. For what? The judgment is articulated in verses 5 through 9. And if you've ever wondered, if you've ever wondered whether good prevails over evil, then this chapter should be instructive. If we've ever thought, we can get away with it, my behavior doesn't matter, these verses might serve as a warning. 
And if we've spent our whole lives building our kingdom and not God's, then these verses might help us recalibrate. It's not a light text. It's not easy reading. Not because it's difficult to understand. No, like the rest of the Bible, if you just read it, it makes perfect sense. But the application, because the world says, this is what you need and this is how you should live, and Jesus says, no, follow me. It's both a challenge and an invitation. It's a challenge to recalibrate and to think powerfully and seriously about what we do with what we have and have we fallen victim to what the world argues for. It's an affirmation that evil does not get to prevail forever. And the pursuit of the kingdom of God is the most important thing one can give one's life towards. The thoughts end with this. Verse 7 talks about how this system sought to glorify itself. And we bring that to sharp contrast with what we talk about here at Timberwood Church of honoring God, of enhancing the reputation of God through our lives. We would argue to not glorify us, but him. Through our lives, through our words, through our actions. Through everything that we say and everything that we do. To enhance the reputation of the God who created us. Please pray with me. Father, we come to you today. And in the moment, we invite you to do business with us. We ask that you would work in our hearts and in our lives. That you would allow us, if necessary, to recalibrate our thoughts and our attitudes towards the things that we have. That you would enable us with everything that we have to enhance your reputation, to honor you, to glorify your name and not ours. In Jesus' name. Amen.